0: humble themselves to the position of servant. Who here is a servant? How well do you serve others and how well do we serve each other even at Redemption Church? Last week we read this. I'm going to read it again. There's a few verses from Colossians. Colossians 1:17 says that he that's Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1:18 says he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead. And listen to this, Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In other words, we ought to intentionally seek to put Jesus and to put Christ Before all things. He is before all things. He is the beginning. He is before all things. And we ought to intentionally seek to put him there. To put him before all things. We ought to seek him and place him before all things in all areas of our life. And today and through this series as we're considering what life looks like as we put Jesus before all things. I want us to consider how seeking Jesus first will make us a humble people who are radical servants of God. And I want us to ask ourselves, how well do we serve others, and how well do we serve each other? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this uh, time together, this, this time where you've gathered your people together to glorify Jesus, to make his name known among us, to make the gospel known to us, Lord, the good news that you've sent a rescuer for us, that you've made a way for us to be in right relationship with you, that you are our Father, that we are your children. Lord, help us to remember just how great your love is for us in Christ this morning. Lord, lead us to be servants, to follow after Jesus as he was a servant, is a servant. Lead us to do the same to your glory. Help us to do that by serving others. And this morning I pray, Lord, that everything that I say, it would be you who really speaks, that you would open each ear to hear exactly what you have for us, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts to make Christ known. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you familiar with the story of Jesus and the woman at the well? It's in John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. Maybe some of you don't know this, Redemption Church actually used to be called the well. Uh, and it comes from this passage in John 4 where Jesus met, meets the, the woman at the well. If you know the story, let me refresh your memory. If you don't know the story, I'll give you kind of a brief idea of what's going on in the scene. And I want us to notice something that often gets passed over, not necessarily because it's not important or that it never gets hit. It's just there's a lot going on there. But in this scene, we see Jesus and the disciples, they're making their way from Judea to Galilee. And they have to pass through Samaria, right? And they're weary and they're tired and they're hungry and they're thirsty from their journey. And they come near the town of Sychar and to Jacob's well. And when they get there, Jesus is tired and he's hungry and he wants to rest. So he stays at the well and the disciples go into town to get food. And while they're gone, a woman comes to the well. Jesus ministers to her. He has a lot of interaction with her. And as that kind of scene draws to a close, the disciples return with food and they're urging Jesus to eat. And Jesus says something odd since we know that Jesus was tired, that he was hungry, that he was there to rest as they went to go get food. And he says something kind of odd in verses 32 through 34 of chapter 4 of John. He just says this, I have food to eat that you do not know about. They offer him food. He says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, has somebody brought him something to eat? Like, is he hiding some food somewhere? Because he was hungry when we left, and now we're bringing food, and he's saying, I got some food that you don't know about. And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Here's what I want us to see this morning. It's that the work of serving God was so satisfying and so fulfilling to Jesus that he called it food. The work of serving God was so satisfying and fulfilling to Jesus that he called it food. That's a quote from author Donald Whitney in response to that passage. And I love that. Jesus called it food because it was that satisfying to serve God. And that's why I want us to consider how well we're serving God and how well we're serving others this morning. Because I think Jesus would have us believe that serving God is better than being fed. Serving God is better than being fed. And actually more than that, it seems he would have us believe that serving God and serving others will actually like fill us up better than being fed. It will fill us up more than any other food. And I think this is contrary to what we naturally believe. And it's contrary, I think, to what we even see the church believing, at least in our culture in America. Like it seems like the general, not everybody's, but the general idea of the perfect church in America is one where we can show up on Sunday, hear stellar music, and dynamic preaching that's like stirs our soul, but won't really require too much of us outside of that. It won't even really require too much of us as we attend I mean I can't even tell you even in our own church how many times I've heard somebody say in effect like I just need to be fed right now I just need to be fed right now I just need to rest and be fed and I don't want to sound like a big jerk because I know some of you are tired I know you've had tough seasons I know you've had a tough year some of you have had a tough life And you feel like you need some rest. And I know the invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11 that says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I know the promise that says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we're going to talk about rest in a couple weeks and how it's necessary and how that's a gospel thing as well. But it is true, it is true that we live in a consumeristic culture, and it has infected the church. It's infected the church where we often just want to sit back and be fed. But Jesus would actually say something contrary. He would say that the real feast and that the real rest is in the serving. And I truly believe that there's something good for you, there's something good for me, and there's something good for us, even for those who are starved and who are hungry Tired. There's something good for us in the act of serving God by serving others. Now, last week we talked about generosity. Uh, we talked about generosity, and mainly in the end, we talked about how if we are uh, seeking Jesus before all things, then we ought to be a grateful people who are generous with our money. That's mainly what we talked about last week, and we could talk. We could tag tack on to the end of that, a conversation about how we can be generous with our time and with our energy and other sorts of things. And it may be sort of related to this week's topic of servanthood, but I do think there's a distinction between generosity and between servanthood. And here's the distinction. Generosity, as we talked about last week, flows from a grateful heart. It flows from a grateful heart. And here's the distinction. Servanthood flows from a humble heart. Gratitude flows from a grateful heart. Servanthood flows from a humble heart. That's the first thing I want us to see this morning. There's just a couple things. The first thing I want us to see is that servanthood flows from a humble heart. Let's look at this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. You can look there if you'd like. It'll be on the screen also. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Paul is writing this, and he says... Catch that? Read this part again. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself, meaning he gave up all his entitlements as creator, like Paul wrote in Colossians, as we've read several times. He's the creator. He's before all things. He's the beginning. In him and through him and for him, all things were created. But he emptied himself, of all his entitlements and humbled himself to become a servant. That's humility, right? That's humble. To not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to like not just hold on to that, I'm equal with God, not just hold on to that, that's the thing that I've got. That's not the thing that I grasp, but there's something more. And to serve... Look, if Jesus, who is God and who is equal with God, humbled himself to serve, then how much more ought we be humbled to service? We are not equal with God. We are not God. How much more would we ought, ought we be humble as well? And whose lead should we follow besides that of Jesus anyways? I mean, it's like Jesus, who is God and who is equal with God, knew that there was a feast to be had in servanthood. And so he didn't just hold on to the fact that he's God and equal with God. He became servant as well. And it led him to step down and to serve to the point of death. Even death on a cross, the scripture says. What leader would think to take that path? Which of us would think to take that path? It's counterintuitive, right? But Paul says this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Have this mind among yourselves. This is the mindset that Paul charges us to have in Philippians, a humility that leads us to serve God by serving others before ourselves. Like following Jesus and believing that he provides a food and a feast and servanthood that we just don't know about, that's hidden, that we've got to follow him, we've got to trust him on this, because there's something there we wouldn't expect. And that's the second thing I want us to see. Number one, servanthood flows from a humble heart. Number two, we are called to be servants, to have the same mindset of Christ, but that's a lot easier said than done, right? It's a lot easier said than done. Like, Paul doesn't just call us to be servants. Like, we spent a lot of time in Acts over this year, right? We've seen Paul all through his ministry in the, uh, in the, in the book of Acts Paul considers himself a servant. I would consider Paul a servant. He is imprisoned. He is in chains. He is beaten for the sake of taking the gospel and advancing the gospel forward. He is a servant. We've seen that. And as we've been spending time in Colossians as well, we can see this, I think, in in, uh, chapter 1, verses 28 through 29. If you want to turn there, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through 29. It's really our main passage this morning. It will be on the screens also. Listen to what Paul says. He doesn't just tell us to be servants. He is a servant. He gets it. And this is what he says in one twenty eight through 29. He says, him, that's Christ, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that He powerfully works within me. Here's what I want us to see. Like when Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all His energy. Toil, in some other versions, you'll see it uh, translated as labor. Right? And it literally means to work until exhaustion. Right? To work until exhaustion. So he says, for this I work, I labor until exhaustion. And then the word for struggle Right after that, the Greek word for struggle is where we get the word, our word for agonize. It's uh, agonizomai or something like that. Agonizomai is where we get our English word for agonize. It means to agonize. So for Paul to serve God, it was to agonize to the point of exhaustion. Indeed, even while he's writing this, he's in the middle of agonizing to the point of exhaustion, he's in chains, he's in prison. This is a prison letter to the Colossians. He's agonizing to the point of exhaustion. And I say all that because it makes sense to us. It should make sense for us too because we are not naturally inclined to serve, honestly. We're not naturally inclined to serve, like purely serve without some other selfish motive We're not inclined to serve naturally. If it leads us to, if serving means it leads us to exhaustion and laboring and working until we are in pain, like why would we desire that, right? And it's not a natural thing for us to want. I want you to consider this, like maybe you've been in this situation. What about, like it's a Friday afternoon, you've had a long week at work, right? And you've kind of got... Uh, some plans to just kick back, maybe, uh, maybe go out and have some fun, blow off some steam, and you get a text message or a phone call from a friend, kind of a friend, hey man, I'm moving in the morning. Is there any way you could come help? Because you're the only person I know with a truck. Or you're so strong. People are so flattering when they want something from you. It's it's a, it's the end of a long week. You're tired. You want to kick back. You want to blow off some steam. Have some have some fun. Have some fun. And somebody says, "I need you at 7:30 in the morning to come help me move." Doesn't it kind of like tear your stomach a little bit in the moment as you're going? Sure. Right. It tears your stomach a little bit, even thinking about giving up your rest, thinking about giving up your plans for the evening because you got to get in bed and get up the next morning, thinking about giving up your plans for sleeping in and catching the game on Saturday. It hurts right there. Have you ever felt that? Yeah, everybody's felt that. It may not be about moving, but it's about something. I mean, who desires that kind of exhaustion? Who desires that kind of agony over Chilling out and watching the game, right? Let me ask you this: Some of you, many of you, serve at our church in different ways, right? You serve at the nursery, or you greet, you do security, whatever, run sound. There's so many things that we ask around here for people to do. Many of you have to serve in some way, shape, or form on a Sunday pretty regularly. Have you ever felt that on a Sunday? that deep, like, tear in your stomach where that discomfort inside of you when you show up knowing it's your day to rest and just just be fed, and then somebody's like, hey, can you fill in because so-and-so is sick or so-and-so had something come up, and you're like, sure, right? Like, Yeah, I'll do it, and it's just, it's uncomfortable, right? And it hurts a little bit. Maybe you feel it when you're asked to commit just a little bit more where you're already serving. And I get it. I get it because I feel it too. But I want us to hear this, as Jerome Gay Jr. writes. He says, don't assume our feelings of discomfort mean we're not in God's plan. Don't assume that our feelings of discomfort mean we're not in God's plan. In fact, the gospel is a call to discomfort. The gospel is a call to discomfort not for the sake of discomfort in itself, not because that in itself is good, but because this is a broken world. And we are born broken people in sinful flesh. And everything that's natural to us is in direct opposition and direct tension to everything that is good for us. So the gospel calls us to face discomfort for our own good. It tells us to lean into that tension between what was natural for us and what's good for us because it's for our own good. So most of the ways we'll be called to serve others will not glorify us in the moment. It'll glorify, it'll be to the glory of God through the most like ordinary, most seemingly mundane things, right? And it'll feel like it's costing something very great to do something very little. And it'll, take, it'll be stuff like taking out the garbage or sweeping the floor or changing a diaper or something like that. And it'll all be so that somebody else can be honored above ourselves at the moment. Right? It'll be something so little and so ordinary. So ordinary that we can't get the glory and that it just gives honor to somebody else in the moment. And that's the costly part, isn't it? That's the costly part. That's the part that hurts. It's not for us. It's for somebody else. And the broken parts of us, I think, feel like every pound of the tension that is between the honoring and the being humbled. And it tears in our stomachs. We like cringe at it. We kind of lunge against the hiddenness of serving. Like I said... We're called to be servants, but being a true, humble-hearted servant, that means like without either having ulterior motives in our service or just having all kinds of anger and resentment build up inside of us, being a true, humble-hearted servant is easier said than done. So what do we do? If there is something good for us in serving, what is it? And if there's something good for us in serving, but we can't hardly even do it right, then where does it leave us? It's the last thing that I want us to see. Point three. We serve with the energy and ability of Christ. Not our own. Christians, we serve with the energy and the strength and the ability of Jesus Christ. Not our own. Let's go back to Colossians 1, 28 through 29 again, just for a moment. Paul says, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. You see it? Paul says that he agonizes to exhaustion to present everyone mature in Christ and that it is all done through Christ's energy that it is all done through Christ's energy and that Christ is powerfully at work within us to do it. And this is the good news is that we aren't called to serve God by serving others by our own ability and in our own strength in order to secure our own righteousness. No, Jesus is our righteousness. He ultimately presents us mature by humbling himself and becoming our servant even to death and death on a cross. By becoming the firstborn from the dead, he ultimately presents us mature. And as Colossians 1.22 says, he presents us holy and blameless. He is God. And he humbled himself to make a way to be with us. To be with us. And it is his energy, it's his strength, it's his ability that enables us to serve with any sort of humility. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, Paul is saying that we need Christ's strength and his power so that we are ultimately able to be filled with all the fullness of God. And check this out. Paul's saying that not only does he empower us to serve, not only does he give us strength to serve, he is the reward for service. He is the reward of service as well. Ephesians 3.19, we just read, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, in both places, in Colossians and in Ephesians, the point of Christ strengthening and enabling us, the ultimate end of that is so that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that we would be presented mature in Christ, that we would be presented holy and blameless. See, Christ empowers us to serve so that we can see and know God more fully. And so that others may see and know God more fully through us. He is our strength and he is our reward. See, while we're blind to while we're blind to the reality of our natural condition and our pride, which is the opposite of humility. While we're blind to the reality of our natural condition and our pride, servanthood actually humbles us and opens our eyes to reality. You know Isaiah 6? It's a pretty famous passage. Isaiah is humbled when he meets God. He says, Woe is me. He falls down. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah sees God, he sees the reality of his own condition and falls on his face before God in worship. He sees the reality of his own condition in contrast to who God is, and falls down before God in worship. And he goes on to be called to serve God. We are called to servanthood, to be faced with the reality of our own condition. That's what I want us to see. We're called to servanthood, to be faced with the reality of our own condition, in light of the reality of God's glory, in order to lead us to keep our eyes on Him above all else. And Christ is in us. Every step of the way, it is by his strength and his power that he is leading us to see reality. He's leading us to see who we really are in light of who he is and to keep our eyes on him. And he uses servanthood to keep showing us what we are really like. Whenever we get that tear in our stomach, it's a reminder of our natural condition. Serving is an important value of ours at Redemption Church. Like, I know that we ask a lot from people on a weekly basis, even to be able to, get, to do, get together and do this. We ask a lot from people on Sundays. But we also think it's just, it's not just to pull something off. Like, it's just too important to neglect the practice of serving one another. Like we don't want to encourage a consumeristic culture among the church body where the majority of the congregation just shows up and is fed and they just sit back and relax and take it all in while a few do the feeding. Because we believe there's something better for us. Paul goes on in Ephesians 4:11 11-12, and he says that Christ gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers for this purpose. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That work of ministry that the saints are supposed to be equipped for, you know what that is? That is the agonizing to exhaustion type of stuff that Paul is about in Colossians. That's ministry. That's the work of the ministry. It's the agonizing to exhaustion. It's, the, it's serving it. It's serving others. And we're all supposed to be in on that and be a part of that as we build up the body of Christ together. And so by way of equipping as Shepherds of Redemption Redemption Church, we value servanthood because we want to encourage the whole church to be a serving body of Christ and beyond. I mean, to be serving the body of Christ and beyond to the glory of God. It's a vital part of discipleship, right? Discipleship doesn't only take place by coming in and hearing great music and dynamic preaching at a a church and then walking out and maybe just getting a little stir in your soul. Discipleship takes place in servanthood as well. It's vital to our growth because we're confronted with our humble reality in light of the glory of God when we're serving. And our eyes are pulled back to Jesus for energy and strength and ability. So we really think it's important that we practice serving together on Sundays and at other times as we gather and as we live life out together as a church. So that we are all growing and so that we are all like practiced and prepared to be servants even outside of this context in our jobs and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and wherever else. And ultimately, as a church, we want to see the neighborhood that we exist in in downtown Augusta be recipients of our servanthood so that as we know Christ more fully, and as we become built up as Christ more fully, that we might make him known to others also in our servanthood. We have a lot of areas of ministry at Redemption Church. We have a lot of areas of need. We have a lot of places where we invite people into uh, uh, volunteer preser- positions to serve. And over the last couple weeks, I think, and even over the next couple weeks coming forward, um, you can, we, have it, we have a thing set out in the lobby. You can go out to the lobby. There's a bunch of positions out there. They, they're all laid out on the table, things you can serve, different ways you can serve the church, from serving in kids' ministry through uh, leading a class, assisting a class, uh, working in nursery, Wiping bottoms and playing with blocks, um, greeting people as they come in, working this hospitality thing we got going on here, making sure things are printed, making sure communion is laid out, running sound, making sure things are recorded, put online, serving on the worship team. There's so many ways that I did not name them all. There's more, right? All that stuff is laid out there. And you can go out there and you can meet those who are already serving and various ways, and talk to them about what they do and what the opportunity is, and you can sign up, and you can commit to serve in any, in any of those positions. But I also know that you might be hesitant. And I, I did not, we did not come up with this just as a gimmick to get you to go serve. I just want to say that. As a side note, I'm not preaching this just so you'll go serve at the thing because we need somebody, right? But it is something we value. And I know you might be hesitant, you might be hesitant to commit to To the thing, but I just want to listen to this encouragement from Andy Stanley at True North, I mean, at North Point Community Church in Atlanta. He says, When individuals step into a ministry environment, what was once a category of people becomes people with names and faces and stories. That's first. And then he goes on, If we or the people in our churches ever get to the place where we are willing to make what we have available to God, amazing things will happen. And after the dust settles, everybody's faith will be bigger. Our confidence will increase and we will have experienced God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. See, there's something hidden like a treasure in servanthood, in ministry, in being a personal servant to others. There's something hidden there like a treasure. But we have to submit to the humble way of Jesus to find it. Like it's all Christ's work in us, right? Even the preparing our hearts to try His way, to be a servant, is Him at work in us. So I don't want you to hear the call to go serve in the church somewhere as like a transaction, but more as a practice and as a meeting place. Dallas Willard, he's one of my favorite authors, he says this about the disciplines. He says, we meet and dwell with Jesus and His Father in the disciplines for the spiritual life serving being one of those disciplines and as our meeting place the disciplines are part of the good news of life we should practice them and then invite others to join us there and that's why we invite you into that because it's a meeting place where we meet our father we meet jesus and we meet the holy spirit and he does work in us to make us more and more like him and to turn our eyes more towards him So I'd love for you to check out those opportunities today. And I'd also like to to encourage you to seek him in just one other way. Like I've been asking you since uh, just before we started this series to maybe spend some time praying and reading through the book of Colossians as we go through this series before all things. But maybe this week as you do that, I'd ask you to spend some time prayerfully considering how you're called to serve and where you resist the call to serve. How are you already called to serve? Where do you resist the call to serve? What are the things that make your stomach hurt at the idea of giving that part of you up? I've included some questions in the bulletin, so I'd encourage you to pick one of those up to kind of help you think through that. And I'd encourage you to use them as you read your Bible and pray this week and maybe process process that by yourself in prayer, but also with maybe your missional community or with your DNA or with some friends you're getting together with uh, that you can trust, process through that with them in prayer. And then one last thing I'd like to say. If you already serve, and a lot of you do, I know that. Whether you think you're getting it right each time, that like you think you're doing a great job, or maybe you think that, uh, or maybe you know that you actually struggle with the tension still, right? That you still feel that pain in your gut when you do it and it's it's a little bit impure. Maybe you know that you got some uh, pent-up anger or frustrations about it, or maybe you had some ulterior motives. Either way, if you're serving, whether you're getting it right or you're still in process, I just say thank you. Thank you. Not just because we're getting it done around here, though. Thank you for serving, because I know how exhausting it can be. I know how hidden and unappreciated it can feel to serve in many of the positions in the church and outside the church, wherever we may serve, in our families, just in the mundane things of the everyday. As you serve, I know it's exhausting. I know it's hidden. I know it feels unappreciated. But you are evidence, truly you're evidence that God is with us, that God is working with us and in and through us as a church. You're evidence of God with us. And we are all growing in Christ together together because of your seeking Christ through your servanthood. That's true. You're a blessing to us all, and I just want to say thank you. And I pray that all of us would also be a blessing back to you, that through our acts of service we would lead you to put Christ first, Christ before all things, and to seek him above all else. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week, and First and foremost, it's a time to reflect and think through this just a little bit. Maybe just in the moment, where is God stirring in you already? Where is he saying you might need to serve? Or where your service is a little bit, you know, tainted. It's a time to reflect on who Jesus is, who God is, what he's done, how he humbled himself and how he served us. And to consider how we would follow him. And more than even just consider how we would follow him, like to worship him and take a moment in a pause to realize who he is and what he's done and to be humbled ourselves before him and to worship him. So the band will come and they'll lead us in song and we can pray where we are. You can stand and you can sing and you can worship together. If you want to pray, we, uh, we'll usually have some people at the back who can pray. There's a, a prayer booth out in the lobby where you could even put prayer requests if you'd like us to pray for you. Uh, you could grab me if you'd like to pray. Um, and then also there's a tithe and offering basket in the back where we can give to God as an act of worship. We can be generous with our tithes and offerings as well. And then also each week at Redemption Church, we take communion together uh, during this time. And so we'll come down these aisles here, and there'll be people here to serve you. You'll take a piece of the bread, and you'll dip it in the wine or the juice, representing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was given to you, where he humbled himself. He emptied himself to come to us to live and to die and to be buried, and that he rose again. And when we do this, we're remembering that he is who he says he is. He's done what he said he would do, and he is our Lord and Savior. And we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to one another because we're forgetful people and we need to be reminded. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member of Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come take with us and remember and proclaim the gospel through our action. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you not come, not because we want to single you out, but because we want you to hear what we're saying in our action. This is an invitation.